Hey, well, good morning. Man, I'm so glad you're here. You know what? It rains. Every pastor in America wonders. Will anybody show up? So here you are. Here you are. And I'm really glad for that. I'm really thankful. We're starting a new series. I'm so excited about that. A couple weeks ago, I told you a story about my son, Wyatt, who uh, needed to wake up in his sporting endeavors. He was just kind of asleep. He, he's a real nice kid. He goes along with the flow, and he just needed to bring his A game. And he had this game at his, at his, uh, at his first game of the year, and he did horrible. So we went home, and it was raining a day like today, and we went out to the backyard, and I just gave it to him. I just made him take the ball and kick it in the net as hard as you could, over and over and over. And I just, come on, you know? And his mother was standing on the porch like, in disapproval, you know, like in motherly disapproval. But this is what I said to him, because he went on to have the best season he's ever had, right? Turned into like a, like a little beast of sorts. I said to him, I know, you're, I know I'm really being hard on you. I know I'm supposed to tell you how wonderful you are and how great you are and how, how, how amazingly beautiful you are in all kinds of ways, but you did terrible today. <laughs> Here's the thing. I am for you. Out of everybody else that tell you how wonderful you are, they don't give a rip. But I am for you. And if you'll listen to me, and if you'll take these things we talk about and you'll do them, you'll have a great season. Now kick the ball in the net, you know, <laughs> right, right. Here's the thing I'm for. I think everybody would understand that a, that a father to a child uh, would have that kind of relationship. So we're starting this series with this same understanding. And we're starting this series where we're talking about what God is for. We know a ton of things what God is against, but we don't know what really what God is for sometimes. And so we're going to take the next couple weeks and we're going to follow through. And so today the topic is that God is for you. That God is for you. That God is for us. That God doesn't get a lot of press like that, that he's for us. And we're going to take this walk through Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, there's this tremendous amount of attention given to the community of faith. You, you take Wesley, Calvin, Luther, all the theologians, um, they'll, they'll raise up Romans chapter 8. And John Piper says the greatest book in the world is the Bible. He says the greatest letter in the Bible is Romans, and the greatest chapter in that letter is Romans chapter 8. Tyndale called Romans 8 the most important piece in the New Testament. So you've got to understand that at the middle of this, of, this, uh, of this book, this New Testament, that Romans, specifically chapter 8, there's these convictions that sit at a critical crossroad. And the conviction today is God is for you. God is for us. Like a father to a son I might have to tell you some hard things. I might give you some hard truths. I might tell you things you don't like, but I am for you. Out of everybody else, I am for you. I am with you. So listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. What then shall we say in response? So he, he reads the whole, he writes the whole letter, this whole chapter, and he says about all these convictions, what is the response? The response is, if God is for us, who can be against us? The conviction, you know, a conviction is something you take to the grave. It's something that uh, you, you take a hold of and, and you will just not be undone from. Now, if in this passage means sin, so you read it like this. 
since God is for us, who can be against us? We'll take, we'll take today to read uh, verse 31, and we'll talk about what that means. And next week, we'll go backwards to verse uh, 1 and talk about freedom. And then we'll go to verse 12 and talk about power and the Holy Spirit. And verse 28, how God works together for good. And, and then 37, verse 37, where God, he says we're more than conquerors and we're, we're um, on mission together. Because these five important convictions, if you, if you get them right, everything else flows out. But if you get them wrong... And, and this theology is wrong for you, then everything kind of breaks down. Well, I, my family just moved into a, a new house. We moved out of a rental house and into a new house. And you know how when you get into a new house, it's hard to get your rhythm? So I've been off and on. I've been waking up in the middle of the night randomly. And, and um, we couldn't put our, our TV where it's supposed to go yet, so it's in my bedroom. Terrible idea, right? And so I would just turn it on and watch it. But one night I woke up, and I was convinced that I was supposed to pray for you by name. So I went out to my living room, which was TV-less, and I just prayed. I just prayed for today because I believe God's going to move in your heart. Do you mind if I stop and pray for you? That'll be okay. God, I love you today. And I'm really thankful for this church. And today I look at the people whose names I've been praying for days. And I pray you would help us to have this conviction that Paul had deep in our heart. That some of us are unresolved spiritually, that some of us are in need of your saving grace, that others of us are in need of being brought back into your fellowship. God, I pray you, you would draw us today into your grace. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, you know, it's important to know who is for you and against you in life. Did you know that? You should know who's for you and who's against you. This past week, uh, last week, I went to a conference. Um, I went to two conferences. I figured out as a pastor how to put it together, right? Put them back to back and get a lot of R&R. &R. So I went to a conference in Myrtle Beach. Because why well, go to the north, you know? Let's go south, man. So I went to Myrtle Beach, and then I drove to Orlando, Right, where, the, where my conference was on the, um, the grounds of Disney Springs, where I bought a cup of coffee for $7. Can you believe that? If I hadn't been drinking it, I'd have given that back. But anyway, so, so I go to this conference, and I'm, I'm at this hotel, and it's really nice, and so they've got these bathrooms that don't have doors. You know, you just walk around the walls. Well, I'm, I'm behind this lady who's rolling with her, her suitcase. She's not paying attention. She got her phone. She rolls right into the men's bathroom. But here's the thing, in today's day and age, I don't know whether you could tell somebody that you're in the wrong bathroom. I don't know. Are you in the right? I don't know which bathroom you're supposed to go to. I don't know if I can tell you. So I'm just watching her. And it was this really long haul of, uh, of bathroom. And so I'm in the bathroom. I just watch this lady roll down the line. And I'm just going to be completely honest. She looked over and saw a urinal and didn't know what to do. And she, and she, she gasped. <gasps> and she turned around, and I was standing there. We were just looking at each other. So I got nervous. I didn't know what to do, so I did one of these. Come on, come on, come on, right? Like nobody's in. And I said to her as she walked out, or as she rolled out, uh, nobody saw it, just me. It's between us, right? So and we come back out, and she's telling her family, and I see her look over at me and be like, all right, like one of those. Me and you, we're just our secret. So in all honesty, that lady knew. She walks away. She didn't know my name. She knows I'm for her, right? Very clear that I'm for her. This, 
Romans chapter 6, when we move back to, um, to Romans 6, this is what it says. I love this, uh, this translation. As long as you did what you feel like doing, ignoring God, you don't have to bother thinking right, living right, or any of that matter. But do you call that real life? Do you call that free living? What do you get out of that? Verse 22 of Romans 6, but now you've found that you don't have to listen to sin to do what you want to do. You've discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now with more and more life on the way. So work hard for sin your whole life and your pension will be death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus Christ, our Master. Do you know how to know that God is for you? I got on the back of your notes a couple ways you can know this. One of the ways you can know is that God is for you is because he's, he's willing to pay your debt. He's paying our debt. When you listen to sin, you get a debt in life, the Bible says. Sin leads to more debt. Sin leads to losing everything, to dying here, to not having full life. And then it eventually leads to an eternity separated from God. So, well, think about it in these terms. Think about, um, about debt for a minute. How, how many of you have been or are in or understand debt. You, you have been in debt, you are in debt, you understand it, right? We understand, we understand that. The longer you carry it, the more it weighs, the more it bogs you down, the heavier it gets. Um, uh, you just slide a credit card and at first it's really fun and, and you get whatever you want, but uh, then, you, then you get the payment, so you pay it, but you slide some more and then eventually you can't really pay the whole thing, so you pay just some and then eventually you just pay the minimums and, and now you're just surviving. And if you pay the minimums forever, you'll be broke forever, right? It just gets heavier and heavier. And what at first seemed to be this freedom of buy whatever you want is now a prison. The longer you go, the more it weighs. These little swipes begin to add up. So you buy a new car with a big payment and you love it until suddenly you have a used car with a new payment. Or you get a really nice home and you love that home until your really nice home with a big mortgage now has things that break and so now you have a used home with a new payment. And when Chris and I came out of school, we had some, some uh, school debt, some, uh, some loans. And so uh, we had about 21000 That was in 2001. And my first job, uh, because I'm a studly man, I made $14,623. That's right. You met, you met my friends the other week who lived, on a, uh, who lived in a funeral home and let me come in with them? It's because the guy that I showed you who was the boss was only paying me $14,000, right? So, so I, so I uh, lived, on a funeral home, lived in a funeral home, and, and Crystal and I uh, did whatever we could. But when you, when you make $14,000, but your school debt is $21,000, she wasn't a nurse at the time. It was crushing for us. It's like, like we couldn't get out from under this weight. It was just so much. It, it, was, it was too much. It was like we owed something that we just didn't know how to pay back and we, were, we didn't have jobs that were going to really overwhelm this and get it, get it out of the way. And, and, and oddly enough, the more I went, the longer I felt overwhelmed by it. I wasn't used to having debt. My parents didn't have debt. They paid for cars or if they had a house, they paid for that. We never had debt, so I didn't understand. They didn't use credit cards at all. And so when I had this, this debt just weighing over me, and so it would be easy to start swiping cards. And, but that would just be more of the problem. I had a friend who came to our church to speak, and he said, hey, look, the Lord told me, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to give you this, and he hands me a check. 
And so I took the check, and I was very nice about it. You never know, you never know how when to open those kind of things. Like, do I open it in front of you? Do I walk off and open it? Feel like I didn't see it yet? Do I wait till you leave? You know, I don't want to do so. Open it up. It was almost the exact amount that we owed for our school loans. Right? Like, man, if you could have just put like 10 more in, I could have got a nice car, but no, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll never forget standing in my kitchen, the little, little dark kitchen, and feeling the, the release of all the weight of that debt that I had accrued but couldn't pay. And, and when he paid the debt for me, it was like this freedom that was so, so free. It was just so good. The USA Today recently came out with the average debt per household. Check this out. Credit card loans per household are at $16,808. Auto loan at $29,539. Student loans are at $50,000 per household. And a mortgage is at $182,000. That is a grand total of $273,000 that the average household carries um, of debt. Almost 50% of Americans have nothing saved for retirement. Imagine this. Imagine I said to you today, Jesus Christ is coming to amplify church, and he is going to do something wild and crazy. He's going to pay off everybody's debt. But he's not coming, okay? But, it, but, if he, but if he was coming and he was going to pay off all your debt, what would you do? You think if Jesus came to pay off 270000 you'd go woo-hoo. If you understand the weight of the debt, then you get the relief of the deliverance. If you understand the press, then you get when it's lifted off. Imagine this. Imagine the bank. Anybody want to be a volunteer today? Anybody feel average? Oh, no, no. Let me see who I think. Hey, Brian, come on up, man. Hey, this is my friend Brian. You feel free to take your jacket off. Take your time. It's good. <laughs> this is my friend Brian. Brian just moved here with us, and we're very thankful for you. Why don't you stand right here? Imagine Brian. Hey, don't touch what's under here, okay? Imagine, imagine uh, Brian is the average person, so he has 273,000 worth of debt, right? And imagine that I went to... First Citizens Bank, and, and they gave me cash, which is why I mean don't touch this, all right? <laughs> Imagine that I said to you, Brian, you've got debt, right? All right, so you've got debt. Don't touch it. <laughs> Would this cover, say, your car? That covers your car, right? And let's say you've got student loans. Brian's with the military, so he probably doesn't have student loans. But let's say he did. Don't touch that either. That covers your, your student loans, right? And let's say, let's say Brian, because he likes Chucks, because I know him well, he likes Chuck Taylors. 
Let's say that I pull out more money for Chuck Taylors. Now let's say that, you know, you got a house, right? You got, you have a house you're trying to sell in South Carolina, right? You know what? Again, don't touch. <laughs> Imagine I say, it's all paid. Now you can go back to your seat depressed because it's not all paid, but thank you. <laughs> Ima Imagine I say, today at Amplify Church, we're paying everyone's debt. Michelle, I done said you wouldn't do a woo. She did a ooh yay. <laughs> All right. You know what you would do? You'd get on your phone. You'd tell everybody you know. You got 30 minutes to get here. 35 if he gets wound up. Because all your debt's going to be paid. You start calling people. You start texting people. We'd stay put. We wouldn't even be worried about lunch, would we? Golden Corral ain't got nothing on $273,000, right? Because at some point we understand that there's this weight, and if it would be released to us, then we understand that the debt has been lifted, and the understanding is there is significance in the deliverance, and you would come running. Let me at it. Come running, let me at it. You understand this is a physical illustration of a spiritual reality, though. It's the spiritual reality that all of us are in debt because of sin. The Bible says that sin is spiritual debt, that it costs us our life, that it costs you your life now, that it will cost to your eternal soul, and that the payment is death, and that we take on sin like a credit card. We swipe it, we slide it, we accrue mess, we build more and more mess. We don't even realize it sometimes. We look good on the outside, but we are accruing on the inside, and you can't do enough good to pay it off. I imagine most of you that are, that are here, my boys, are really good people. I know you. You're good people. But you're not good enough to pay the debt that you owe. And when you die, the balance is due. The Bible says that you will stand before the judge and you will, you will show and be accountable for what you've done with this life, with your soul. And it says what you've done with Jesus will determine that. Will you be turned away? Or will you be welcomed in? And so we're walking this journey of, Lord, if I understand the weight of sin, why wouldn't I come running? Why wouldn't I come running to deliverance? If God is for me, he sent his son Jesus for me. He came not to give my money debt, but to pay my sin debt. I mean, you can figure out how to pay your money debt, but there is no way to figure out the sin debt. Except the Bible says through Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and he sacrificed for you. And he was sinless for his entire life. Because if he had sinned, his death would have been for himself. But a sinless life means he can die for you and for me. And he writes over our sins. And in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, we left. We disconnected from God because of our sin. But the Bible in Romans 6 says God's real gift is real life, eternal life, his son. Now, if we understood the weight of that, we'd come for deliverance.
If I said Jesus is going to pay off and forgive all of your sin debt, you're his child. He's going to restore you and heal you and, and, and give you a wholeness. And he is going to, he's going to just forgive your, your eternal debt. Everybody should come running. You should text people. They're forgiving sin today. Jesus is forgiving people. There's this guy who says Jesus forgives everybody. But the problem is something has broken in translation, hasn't it? Because we don't understand the weight of sin and debt, or we don't understand the size of his deliverance. Because if we did, we'd come running. And my, my prayer today is, and has been over the last couple of days, and even in the middle of the night when the Lord woke me up, I'm praying that you would understand that God wants to deliver you. That the Holy Spirit will draw you to deliverance. Maybe even today. Because he's for you because he pays for your debt, but he, he's also for forgiving your sin, if you were taking notes. God is for forgiving our sin. Luke chapter 15, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this passage. It's about a prodigal son. And, th and this is what we know. Anna, can you put that up for me? There's a father who had two sons. The younger son says, I left my father's house. The older son says, I left my father's heart. There's two stories in one. Luke chapter 15 is a, is a story that Christ is telling, and, and um, it, the, the deal is there's this father, and he has inheritance. And both sons are going to get half of the inheritance. And, and they're waiting around, and it's, it's going to be a great day. But one of the sons, the younger one, decides, i got a better life without you. So I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go ahead and live out my inheritance. I'm going to have fun and, and party and with friends. And he goes and does that. Father gives him half, takes off wanders all of it with wild living and parties and paying for everybody else and eventually finds himself not only serving the pigs but eating the slop that is theirs. And he thinks to himself, the servants in my father's house are eating better than me, so I'll go back. But I'm not going to go back as a son. I'm not going to go back as part of um, a receiver of the inheritance. I'm going to go back and just offer my services as a servant. And the Bible says that when the young son, representative of you and I, coming to God, when the young son comes back to the father, the father sees him from a long distance off and prepares for him and goes running. And the son says, I just want to come back. I'm sorry. I've, I've, I've done wrong, but I just want to be a servant. No, the father takes him in, throws a party, takes him back as son. Right? It's this beautiful story restores his sonship. And the Bible says that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That, that God says, hey, you've gone away. Come, you come to me and you're forgiven. Your sonship is restored. You're a daughter. You're, you're, you're restored. And, and the Bible says, you're good. You're, like, you're under the blood. You're with Jesus. Now, how you've come home to the Father. You may have left The answer to all we're talking about is God is for you. The question is, are you for him? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive our sins and purify us from all 
unrighteousness. The story inside the story is the, um, is the older brother. The older brother says, hey, I've stayed while my brother left. My younger brother left. He took half his inheritance. He went off and did his thing and blew it all. The older brother stays home and works with dad and will wait for his inheritance and is kind of superior in his mind. And he kind of gets puffed up, and, he, and he, he just, he works hard. And when he sees this whole transaction of a younger brother who's wasted all the inheritance come home and be received, instantly, he gets ticked. Now, you know you would do the same thing. You get mad, and the father restores him, and the older feels like he should be more important, and he should be lifted up. And the truth is, the older brother got used to God's grace. He just got used to being in the father's house. When the father threw the party for the younger brother, the older brother, the story tells us, left the house. They both had moments where they left. See, the younger brother leaves, and we all know it. We know he left and came back. The older brother left the house long ago because his heart was not there. He left his father's heart long ago. He wasn't in fellowship. He wasn't with the father. He wasn't engaged in an intimate relationship. And the truth is, is that you might hear this today. You might be in the kingdom. You might be in the kingdom of God. You might have come to faith in Christ. You might come to church very religiously, but you are out of fellowship with the father. You see, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it was written to the church. Not to all the heathens outside the church. It was written to the heathens inside the church. To confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from, wrong, from all unrighteousness. So I, I've been a Christian longer now than I have not been. Kind of past that threshold of being a Christian longer in my life than not. And I sin and I stumble and I'm slow sometimes to repent. And there have been many times where I've been in the house of the Lord, but far from his heart. The Bible talks about sin being missing the mark. Now, you literally, uh, that you miss the mark. It's an imagery of a target. And um, uh, we were in a church one time, Crystal and I, and this guy got up. He wanted to show this. He said, the target is sin is, uh, is, uh, uh, sin is um, missing the target. So he's got this target. He steps back with this bow and arrow. It's a really fancy one. And he pulls it back. You know, it's kind of like lock, and it's got a trigger. He's talking, talking. He's like, so anyway, and he pulls it like this, and it accidentally goes off right into the wall. Like, we're going to die today. Like, this is the last day we're alive. And so, but the, the truth is, is that, you know, the reality is, is that he really, he really proved his own point accidentally, right? Thank goodness nobody died that day. But he, but he proved that, that sin is missing the mark. Well, the mark, the center is Jesus. And what he does is he says, you can have my shot. You can't hit the mark. You're going to miss it. You're eventually going to miss it. But I'm not. Like, I'm the center. Holiness is the bullseye. That's the mark. Nobody's hitting it. And so the bullseye is intimacy with the Father. We left, and God makes it possible. In John chapter 17, Jesus starts praying for his followers. He says, I pray that you are one as I am one with the Father. And that they will know you by your unity. 
that as you are in this house, your heart is in this place, right? That your heart is connected to the Father and that the Father's connection to you is strong and vibrant and intimate and, and ongoing, right? It's not just, just religious do's and don'ts. It's like an intimate relationship. It is a Father who is for you and with you, and he offers to pay your debt and forgive your sin. Years ago, I heard a, a pastor um, say this, and I started copying his, his lead. You know, I write my... I write my um, Scripture reading out. I read scriptures, I write, and I pray in a journal. And nobody ever sees them. Uh, but I just, just track my way through the Bible and I track my way through my own prayers. I wasn't very good at praying, so I was really I started writing it down. I could keep my attention. And and one of the things I started doing, I'll show you, was um, I'll just write sin sometimes. And we don't have enough paper or time to write what my sins would be because Oftentimes, they're more numerous than I'd like to admit. But because I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, oftentimes after I write those sins, and I don't just write sin, I really write them out. Um, and sometimes I'll write the prayer that goes with them, God forgive me. And then I just take a red marker, and I just spell forgiven. The blood of Christ covers me, I'm forgiven. It's not okay to sin. It's not okay. God is not for my sin. God is for holiness and for a life like Christ. And the only way I can be like Christ is when I do sin. And as I continue to push against that sin, as I continue to become more in line with his spirit and more intent on not doing those things, I'm continually asking to be forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ. But I've been a Christian longer now than I haven't been one, right? I got saved when I was um, 17, so I'm now 40. So I've been a Christian for 23 years. And there are times where I've come into the house, but my heart has not been here. That, that not so much because of you, but because of my relationship with the Father has been strained. Maybe I'm not quick enough to repent. Maybe I'm not fast enough to show grace to somebody. Maybe I've gotten used to the grace and felt superior to someone who just came into the family. And I don't understand why I've done this for so long and they get to get in now for free. Forgetting that, I got in for free too. As long as I would surrender my life to Christ and accept his grace and leadership, I was in. But staying in the house for too long, I would get frustrated. And there have been times where I've had to write, I left. I left. You know, my story is pretty, pretty vulnerable. I'm pretty honest about it. I almost quit the church. And I almost quit being a pastor. I got, I got hurt. Like people get hurt. There's probably somebody calling you who's hurt right now. <laughs> Step on it, sit on it. All right, you're good. You're good. I just got to, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I had to write, God forgive me. I'm home. In fact, for whatever reason, as a Christian, I've had to write this more often. 
I'll write this. I'll write my sins out. You say, man, that's crazy. Well, I don't know if you're like me. You don't really, you kind of gloss over them. It's probably not that bad. You write them out and see how bad of a person you are. You know? Compare them to the Bible, buddy. It'd be something else, man. You're like, wow, I'm not very good. But I'm covered by Jesus' blood. I'm going to do better. I'm forgiven. There are many times where my intimacy with the Father has caused me to not have my heart in the game. And I left. And God proves to me over and over and over again that I'll surrender my sin and I'll surrender my heart that he's got me. That he's for me. Because the thing about it is he'll, he'll forgive your debt and he'll forgive your sin. He'll free you, but he'll also free you from fear. You know, you got to know who you're for, who you're against. Football's here, right? You like football? You know who you're pulling for? How many people pulled for NC State yesterday? Good. Sorry how that ended, but how many people pulled for Carolina yesterday? Great. Anybody pull for Duke? So I like to pull. I like to watch soccer this time of year. So I'll go to the NC State's field and. And um, I'll take my sons with me, and we'll go watch soccer games. And we got somebody gifted us tickets to the Clemson-NC State game at the end of the year, right? We're really, really excited. And one of my sons asked me, because we pulled for Carolina, he said, can we, um, if Carolina's not playing, can we pull for NC State? Like we all kind of looked around at each other. Yeah, we can do that. Like you can't ever pull for Duke. Everybody go to that, but you can pull for NC State. All right? All right, so we're good. So we got, a little, we got some shirts, and we're going to go out there and, we're going to cheer and all that kind of stuff. And so we know who we're for. We know who we're against. And God says, I am for you. And then he says, if you are not for me, you're against me. That's what the Bible says. If you are for me, it removes the fear. It removes fear. We should have a, we should have a holiness fear toward the Lord. Of God is greater than the devil. That, that he is... He should receive from us a holy reverence, that when we come to him as a father, that we, that, we, that we are reverent toward him, that there's a fear of what sin will cost us, that there's a fear of an intending judgment. But when he takes us on as his, when he gets in our face, almost squeezes our cheeks and say, I am for you. No matter how hard this is, I am for you. Christ covered you. He is all, and God's perfect love casts out fear. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is what it says. It says, the spirit you received does not make you a slave, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Right? You're adopted into the family, and here's the thing. Here's what I know. When the invitation is made, if you understood your sin debt like you understand this kind of debt, you'd come running. And you'd come running hard and fast, and you would understand that the, that the weight had been lifted, that the sin was great, but the weight was crushing, and the invitation to, to be forgiven is free. That the whole world would come running. And that's been my prayer, that you would understand the weight on which you are under. 
That's why in just a moment I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Sam and Miss Ruth to sing, and I'm going to give you a moment to respond. God has been preparing this moment for you. How do you know he's working? You say, how do I know God's working in my life? Well, do you want to respond? Because that's not natural. Do you want to say, God, I need forgiveness like that? That's the Holy Spirit literally drawing you. But God is good and gives you choice to make your decision. Stay put or come and ask for grace. And you can respond on your own, but if God's drawing you, I would never, ever push back. If there's any group of people that want to see somebody give their heart to Christ, it's this one. And John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Now, there, there are two groups of people that... I'm speaking to today. I'm speaking to those of you who are like the younger brother. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to him. You've never, you've never given your heart and soul truly to him. And so you, you know he's for you. Like picture you convince me he's for you. The question is, are you for him? Like, like are, are you, are you going to go all in? And if this is you, then today, I just want you, we'll stand a minute, we're going to sing. I want you to come down to this communion table where there's cards that say sin. You take one of these red pens, just like I've done many times, but if this is your first time, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this, and I want you to write, forgiven. And then I want you to take it with you. I want you to remember tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday when the devil starts telling you, what in the world do you think you did? Forgiven. If that's your first time, you've never done that. That's what I would encourage you to do. We're going to sing in a minute, and you'll take that card, and you'll confess, I need Jesus Christ. I believe in him. I believe God is for me. I'm a sinner. I know it. If I wrote my sins out, it would be terribly embarrassing. But I'm forgiven. And all of heaven, the Bible says, rejoices like a son that goes and comes home. And the Father throws a party. That's what heaven does for you. When you walk up and say, I'm a sinner, for this very first time I need forgiveness. Heaven goes crazy. So that'll be your response, okay? Sin, I'm forgiven. But, but there's a second group. And there's probably more of you. And here's what it is. This is the group I've been in numerous times. Like the, the older brother group. You're, you're in the family. You're in the house. You're in, in with God's grace, but you've drifted. You, you've sinned and you've gotten okay with it. Like, ah, it'll be okay. You just kind of continued to build that debt and not been all that worried about it. You've gotten too used to his grace. And so when somebody else receives grace and it kind of didn't seem like they worked for it as hard as you did, you kind of you get a little superior. Maybe, maybe the conversation with you and God has gone quite cold. The only time you think about it is when you come back here again, but, but you're saying... There's no intimate connection anymore. You've been in the faith three months, three years, 30 years. The Holy Spirit is drawing you back. This is not for everybody, but it may be for you today. Right? So what I'm asking you to do is come to this altar, one of these two altars. There's just some cards. And you'll take a pen, a red pen, and the, and the card will say, I left. I left. I mean, I was here in physical stature, but my heart left. My heart's not with the Father. So I left, and the, the response will be home. 
And when you get away this week and, you, and the, the devil starts beating you up and you think, man, you ain't any different than you were before, you're going to say, home. I'm home. Would you stand with me? Two responses. Your first time, sin, I'm forgiven. You felt yourself move from the Father's heart. Home. Pastor Sam, you lead us. You, you make your way out as God leads you. If he's drawing you, don't fight it. Come on.